Good morning. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So glad you're here today, and we do want to take a few moments to acknowledge and recognize and honor our mothers, but we also want to acknowledge that for some, this is not necessarily an easy day. Maybe it's a difficult day. Maybe you've lost your mom recently, or maybe you have lost a child, or maybe your relationship with your mother is strained in some way, or maybe there's some other reason that makes today somewhat difficult for you. And I want you to know that we're mindful of you. And I, don't, I want you to remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 38, that God is close to the brokenhearted. And it's our desire and our prayer that you find peace, that you find comfort in the love and in the mercy and the grace of God. And we are so glad you're here today. We do want to acknowledge and to recognize our mothers who are here among us. And so I'm going to ask the youth to get ready to go. Wow, we have a good crew of helpers here. This shouldn't take long at all, right? Everybody gets one flower. So if you are a new mother, if you became a mother this past year, you gave birth, you got pregnant, you adopted a child, please stand. If you became a mother over the past 12 months, please stand right now. Remain standing, okay? Very good. You're the ones that don't have much sleep, right? You can, no, don't fall asleep in the sermon, not today. All right, let's go on the other end. All of our grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers and all grandmothers are great, so if you're a grandmother, you please stand. You're the ones who spoil all these children and then give them back to their parents, right? All right, now all mothers, please stand. All mothers, please stand. If you consider yourself a mother... Please stand. These students are going to give you a flower, and when you get your flower, you can be seated, so they'll know who to give a flower to. It's somewhat of an uh, irregular tradition that, that I write a poem for this, basically to kill time while we're handing out flowers is basically what it's for. And so uh, I've written a little poem, and let's... Uh, Let's listen to this. Mother's Day 2019, roses are red, violets are blue. Moms are very special, so today we honor you. Yeah, that's good. It goes down from there, trust me. <laughs> when it comes to saying thanks, words will not suffice, so we plan to show you today by being extra nice. Thanks for all you do. You make our hearts glad. We can always count on you, and you smell much better than Dad. Your wisdom never ends, knowledge on every task. You're always ready to give advice, even when we don't ask. Uh-oh. <laughs> Took a turn there, didn't we? You can find anything that we've lost. When we're young, you make us a treat. You even help Dad drive all the way from the passenger seat. You'll be glad to know I spent more time on the sermon than I did on this, okay? Seriously, you are the best by far, it's clear to see. 
So always know that in our hearts, you are the real MVP. Mom, we honor you today and express our deepest love. Thanks for being you, a gift from God above. There you go. <laughs> Did we miss anyone? Did everyone get a rose? Good job, guys. Very efficient. <laughs> oh, we did miss someone. Oh, right up here. We got lots of points. Go, go, go. No one's looking at you. Don't worry. <laughs> and by the way, we're going to put the extras out by the doors and so if you if your mother's not here or you're going to see her later today or if you are visiting someone or maybe going to a nursing home or you have a good purpose for a rose or two grab one of those on your way out and bless someone with that rose thank you students great job and thank you moms for who you are for what you do and so here's what I want to do I want to offer a prayer of blessing over our mothers, and I want you to remain seated. I want everyone else to stand. If you're a mom or grandmother, remain seated. Everyone else stand, and let's join together in prayer. Bow with me. Father God, we praise you on this day. We praise you every day because you are God. Father, you are a good God, and God, we thank you for being who you are, for revealing who you are to us through Jesus. Father, for letting us see your heart by watching Jesus and watch how he interacts with people and how he loves people, how he saves people. Father, today we are so mindful of these ladies who were seated among us. We're mindful of their sacrifice, their love. We're mindful of the things that they do, the people they are, the influence they have on us and on many others. And we thank you for them. We praise you for them. And Father, we pray your richest blessings over them. Give them good health, give them peace, give them strength to continue to serve you, Father. And let them feel our love, more importantly, let them feel your love today and every day. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, and your Son, we pray, amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, you might open up to John chapter 2. That will be our text today, John chapter 2. In 28 years of ministry, I have officiated and attended lots of weddings, like many of you have. And one thing I have learned is at weddings, you can always expect the unexpected. There always seems to be something that, that goes wrong. And it always is very disappointing and frustrating to the bride. But to everyone else, we love it, don't we? When you're watching a wedding, you love it. It's entertaining. Maybe a ring bearer goes rogue a groomsman passes out. The preacher calls the bride by the wrong name. That happened to my sister. <laughs> it's true, it did. Or maybe the couple completely forgets to bring their rings to the ceremony. That's happened recently to a couple here. I told Josh and Allie I wouldn't tell everybody who it was. <laughs> But one of my favorite wedding blunders comes from my preacher friend, Sean. He tells a story about a guy he knows who officiated the biggest part of a wedding ceremony with his fly unzipped. It was almost the end of the ceremony before he noticed. 
But this guy was a seasoned veteran. He didn't panic. He had a plan. He thought, I'll just have everyone bow in prayer. I'll reach down, zip up my pants, and we'll just move on. And so that's what he did. He had everyone bow in prayer. He reached down to zip up his pants, and that's when he felt a snag. He peeked down to see what the problem was, and he realized that he actually got part of the bride's flowing dress caught in his zipper. Not good. Not good at all. And it wouldn't get loose. He couldn't get it out. So he's praying and pulling and praying and pulling and no luck. So finally, he just ends the prayer. He pronounces them man and wife. He throws his arms around them and he whispers, let's go. And they all went out together. (laughs) Oh, man. I cannot imagine. It's a good reminder to us all that weddings don't always go as planned and life doesn't always go as planned, does it? One day Jesus is at a wedding. His mother is there. His disciples are there. They're at this wedding in this town called Cana. And guess what happens? The unexpected. No, it's not a uh, ring problem. It's not a ring bearer problem. And it's not a zipper snafu. This, for this day and this time, was much more serious. This was a major faux pas. The wedding host ran out of wine. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, this situation might be a little bit foreign to us, and the urgency of the need might seem a little bit exaggerated. But for first century Jewish culture, this was more than just an inconvenience. This was a social disaster. You see, for Jews in the first century, weddings lasted seven days. Ladies, can you imagine planning a seven-day wedding? Fathers, can you imagine paying for a seven-day wedding? So weddings lasted seven days, and the host of the wedding had to provide food and drink for that whole time. And if for some reason you ran out of food or drink, then you were looked at as, well, not quite adequate. And from that point on, people would talk about you. You would be known as the family that couldn't afford or didn't provide or whatever the problem was. You just didn't come through. You weren't a good host. It would be shameful. It would be embarrassing. It was a big deal. And so Jesus' mother, Mary, steps in. Now it's interesting, in John's gospel, did you know that Mary is only mentioned twice? Only mentioned twice in the whole gospel of John, right here at this wedding at Cana, and then much later at the foot of the cross, watching her son Jesus be crucified. Two moments that are linked together, not just because Mary was there, but two moments, an initial moment that reveals the glory of God in Jesus through this miracle, and this moment at the cross, the moment that reveals the glory of God as Jesus gives his life at the cross. 
So what does Mary do? She basically asks Jesus to do something. Now, did Mary expect Jesus to get his disciples and say, hey guys, we need to go get more drink, we need to get more wine? Did she expect them to maybe give a greater gift as a guest? Because it was customary for, for guests to give gifts to offset the cost of hosting a wedding. Is that what she expected? Or did Mary expect Jesus to do something miraculous? Did Mary know that Jesus could just say the word in every drop of water, in every ocean, every river, every lake, every pond, every puddle in the world could instantly turn into the finest wine on earth? I don't know. But I know Mary knew Jesus was special. And that if anyone could do anything, it was him, the anointed one. But Jesus says to his mother, why are you coming to me? Why do you involve me? My hour, some versions say, my time has not yet come. Jesus basically says, I don't live according to anyone's schedule except God's schedule. Now throughout John's gospel, when you read that phrase, the hour, or the hour of Jesus, it's always talking about the cross. And basically what Jesus is saying is, if I begin to do something, to do something miraculous, that will put me on the road to Calvary. That will put me on the road to the cross. It's like a big hourglass. And if, once you turn that thing over, that sand will eventually run out. And Jesus says, my hour, my time has not yet come. But Mary doesn't know all of that. Mary can't see the big picture. Just for a moment, look at Mary's immediate context. Basically, she sees a need. There's a need. And she sees Jesus, and Jesus can do something about the need. And so she approaches him with a sense of expectation. What a great example for us. How do we approach Jesus? How do we humbly ask Jesus to be involved in our lives? She asked with a sense of expectation, knowing something will happen, that he can do something. So many times I approach God in prayer, or I invite Jesus into a situation, and I'm skeptical. I don't know. And she shows great trust and great faith. And I want you to notice what she says specifically. Back in the text, John chapter 2, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> Maybe this was just a mother who didn't want to hear excuses from her son, and she said, it's going to happen. Do whatever he tells you to do. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. The master of the banquet was a, a position of honor. Among other things, this person had to regulate the distribution of drink so as not to run out, but also not to have excess that would lead to drunkenness because no one wants that at their party. And so Jesus says, you take some of that and let him taste it. 
They did so, verse 9, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, <clears throat> aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have, gone, have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So what does Jesus do? He steps up and he does something, right? These big stone jars, they were used for the Jewish cleansing rituals. And the text says they held 20 to 30 gallons of water. And Jesus uses those to produce, I mean, you can do the math, 120, 150 or more gallons of fine wine. You say, well, man, Jesus, he's, he'd be great to have at a party, right? Anything you run out of, Jesus can supply it. If there's some situation that will cause embarrassment, Jesus will step in and keep you from being embarrassed. But that's not what this story is about. There is something significant happening here. There is more going on than Jesus rescuing someone from social embarrassment. This was an opportunity for God to begin the glorification of his son by doing something miraculous among the people, a chance to draw people's attention to Jesus. You see, this miracle signified that God was initiating something new, something big from within the old Jewish system. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus used these stone jars that were used for Jewish cleansing and ritual cleansing, purification. It's as if Jesus' act is saying that God is doing something new and different from within the Jewish system, that now purification, that now cleansing, it won't come through rituals. It won't come through washing with water. It will come through Jesus, that he will provide purification, that Jesus will provide cleansing. You see, there is something significant happening here. And John tells us that, the very next verse, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He says this is a sign. It's the first of his collection of signs in his gospel. Well, what's a sign? Well, you know what a sign is. A sign communicates something. A sign points to something. A sign stands for something. Jesus turning water into wine at this wedding points to something bigger. In John's gospel, it was the first sign of many signs on the road to authenticating and really elevating Jesus as more than just a teacher, more than a leader, more than even a miracle worker. He was sent from God. He was sent from God to redeem and save the world. This interpretation fits very well in John's gospel because at the end of John's gospel, he gives us the thesis or the purpose for writing his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may, what? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Jesus didn't do this miracle just because there was a host family or a couple that was going to be embarrassed. Certainly that was part of it. But this was bigger than that. This was heaven and earth meeting right in front of their eyes. This was a glimpse of the divine, a glimpse of the sacred, a mingling of the mundane and the mysterious. And we are supposed to look at this in wonder and be drawn to Jesus, the one who performed this miracle knowing that he is unlike anyone else, that the power of God is flowing through him. It is significant. That's what this story is all about. That's what John's gospel is all about. That's what our preaching and our teaching, that's what our lives should be about. But on this special day to honor moms, I want you to notice I want you to notice the mom's role in this story, Jesus' mom. Notice Mary, because I think her role represents the role of every mother who God calls, including those of you who are moms here today. You see, Mary interceded. Mary connected Jesus to people in need. That's what she did people about whom she cared, people whose lives she knew could be blessed by Jesus. She connected Jesus to them and them to Jesus. When there was a need, Mary gets Jesus. When everyone else had done all they could do, Mary gets Jesus. When they needed a miracle, Mary gets Jesus. She is the link connecting Jesus to other people. She doesn't just believe that Jesus can do something, she acts on that belief. She speaks up. She basically points to Jesus, directs people's attention to Jesus. We see a mother who facilitated a miracle simply by approaching Jesus on their behalf. It's every godly mother's job to connect Jesus to people in need. Well, who's in need? There are people around you every day in need. People who need Jesus. Your kids need Jesus. Your grandkids need Jesus. If you're married, your husband needs Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. If you work outside the home, your coworkers, your clients, your students, your neighbors need Jesus. Just for a moment, I want you to imagine that you viewed your role as a mother primarily as a means to connect Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Imagine what that might be like. Imagine how maybe your life would change, your routine might change, your conversations might change. What if you became like Mary, that conduit, that bridge between people and Jesus? You might facilitate a miracle just by approaching Jesus, just by pointing to Jesus and what would happen people would be helped needs would be met people would receive blessing and Jesus as he was at this wedding would be glorified you say well what does that mean how do I do that how can I be an intercessory or intercessory influence on people what does that mean Well, it means, first of all, you you 
intercede on their behalf. You pray. Commit to praying with and for your family. Commit to being a prayer warrior. You know, sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to fix things. But you can always get on your knees and pray. We even call certain prayers intercessory prayers. You go to God on someone's behalf. You intercede for them. You can pray on behalf of others. There's nothing better you can do than humbly approach the throne room of God with the names of people you care about on your mouth, on your lips, presenting those to God. But you can also speak up, speak about Jesus, point people to Jesus, make much of Jesus in your interactions, in your conversations. Let Jesus be the default that you go to. When someone asks you a question, don't default to your own wisdom, to your own knowledge, to your own experience. Default to God's word, to the heart of Jesus. Point people to Jesus. And I want you to notice exactly what Mary said because I think it matters. What does Mary say to the servants in verse 5? She says, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Moms, that should be your message. Your message to your kids, your message to anyone in need. Do whatever Jesus says. But it's not just the message of moms. It's the message of dads and grandparents and kids and all of us. That should be our message. To a world in need. Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Do whatever he says. And it's a good reminder that we don't give people the version of Jesus that they think they want necessarily. The version of Jesus that they create in their mind. We give them Jesus who is Jesus. Mary said, you do what he says. He may not necessarily do what you say. You follow him. You listen to him. You do what he says. Today we've titled the lesson, Miracle Mom. (laughs) And I know for some of you, you feel like you are called to be a mom who does miracles. You're managing everything. You're solving problems. You're making sure things are taken care of. You're doing all of this stuff. Many times no one even knows all the things you're doing. And you feel like every day you're expected to be a miracle worker. I don't think God wants you to live with that kind of pressure. I don't think when you read Proverbs 31 that is supposed to put pressure on you to be that kind of woman. You see, our job is really pretty simple. It's not to do miracles. It is to lead people to the one who does miracles. Several years ago, there was a woman named Elisa Morgan. She was asked to be president of Mops International, Moms of Preschoolers a global faith-based organization that provides support and resources and encouragement for mothers. And when they asked her to be president, she said, you must have the wrong person because I am not qualified to do this. She said, I don't even know what good mothering looks like. She said, I grew up in a broken home. My parents divorced when I was five. My siblings and I were raised by an alcoholic mother. She wrote this, 
While my mother meant well, truly she did, most of my memories are of my mothering her rather than her mothering me. Alcohol altered her love, turning it into something that wasn't love. I remember her weaving down the hall of our ranch home in Houston, glass of scotch in hand. She would wake me up at 2 a.m. just to make sure I was asleep. I would wake her up at 7 a.m. to try to get her off to work. She said when they asked her to be president of this mom's organization, the first thing she did was fall on her knees, and the second thing she did was go to her therapist's office. (laughs) And she said, this was my question, how could God use me? How could God use me to help nurture other mothers? I don't even know what mothering looks like. And then she says she realized Maybe God showed her that what all of these mothers needed was the same thing she needed. That if she could see their needs and identify with those needs, that then she could work to serve them and help meet those needs. See, that's what a good mother does. It's really pretty simple. Your children, your family... They need the same thing you need, Jesus. That's their greatest need. That's your greatest need. And you have an opportunity to connect them to Jesus. Your job is not to be perfect, but to lead them to the one who is. Your job is not to do miracles. You can't. But to connect them to the one who does. Your job is not to meet every need. You can't. It's impossible. But to show them every day and tell them every day of the one who meets their greatest need. I think that's your challenge. That's your calling. But it's not just yours. That's our challenge. That's our calling. Every single one of us to connect people to Jesus and Jesus to people, to meet people in their need and show them that there's only one who can meet their greatest need. You are a messenger of that message, but today maybe you need to hear that message. Maybe you need to know that Jesus can meet your greatest need. And maybe today you realize that, you internalize that, and you believe that, and you're ready to give your life to Christ. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God. To be baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ. And then to live a life to honor Christ. We would be so happy to celebrate with you today. Or maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you haven't been the mom, or the dad, or the friend, or the son, or the daughter that God has called you to be. Maybe you want us to pray for you. Maybe you want to confess sin. If there's some need, we certainly want to be here for you. We're going to stand and sing a song, and we're going to have a couple of our shepherds and their wives in the parlor right behind me. You can make your way there, or you can come down to the front. Let's stand and sing.